Well, good morning. Uh, Pastor Clovis here. Pastor Scott is out. He's actually taking some time off. And it uh, turned out to be kind of an interesting week this week. Uh, on Monday, our guest worship leader contacted me and told me that he had tested positive for COVID. And uh, a couple of the members of the team either had tested positive for COVID or were showing signs. And so we had to pivot, and I appreciate so much Josh and Benny because they stepped up and took on the worship leading role for us this morning and did a great job. In addition to that, uh, actually, Pastor Josh was scheduled to preach today, and on Monday, he contacted me that he had tested positive for COVID as well. And so uh, that's why you have me here this morning. And uh, now Josh had been working on this sermon for a while, and he had it pretty much ready to go. So I'm actually taking his sermon and preaching it for him. And so basically what you've got here this morning is Josh's brains and my body <laughs> delivering this message. So that's, <clears throat> that's what's happening here this morning. I'm not sure if that's, that's probably a scary thought, but that's... Uh, that's what you got. So anyway, obviously there's been an uptick <clears throat> in uh, COVID in our community and we're experiencing it even as a church. So we're continuing on with this series that Scott has called the Relentless Series. We've been going through the minor prophets and they're not minor because they're not important. They're minor because they're smaller in size in the book as opposed to the major prophets, which are longer in size in the book. And today, we are actually going to be on the book of Haggai, and um, we're going to take a look at what the, the message is of Haggai. But before we do that, <clears throat> let's pray, and uh, we'll get started. Lord, I just uh, thank you for uh, today. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather together in worship. Again, I thank you for Josh and Benny being willing to step up and lead us in worship. We thank you, God. That, uh, you know, as your word says, and as Paul said, you know, uh, he watered, Apollos, you know, he planted, Apollos watered, but it's you who causes the growth. And so even today, as I'm basically preaching Josh's sermon, it's ultimately you who will do anything of any good or any value through it. And so uh, we, we just turn to you, we trust you for that, and we just pray, God, that you would be with us uh, this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to ask you, if uh, your house was on fire and uh, you uh, knew that you're, you know, no living beings, no, no human beings or no pets or anything were in the house, but you had the opportunity to go in and get one thing out of that house before it burned down, my question to you is what would be that one thing? I mean, just take a second. Think about it. What would be the one thing that you would go in and get out of your house? My guess is whatever it is, it would be a priority to you. It'd be something that you value. Well, in 2010, there was a fifth grade teacher by the name of Marie Murphy who received a call that her house was on fire. And so she rushed to her house, and she found that her husband and her mother were out of the house. And so they were safe, no pets in the house. 
And so she ran in. She had time. She ran in to get one thing. And the one thing that she got were her season tickets to the Phillies baseball season. Apparently, that was a very important thing to her. And so she rushed in. She got those season tickets and came out. Now, she and her family were, you know, living in a hotel, trying to figure out how to rebuild their home and that sort of thing. And so in an effort to encourage her, the Phillies actually came to the school and presented her with some memorabilia. You can actually see that in the picture there on the screen. And they reminded everybody that if your house is on fire and you have season tickets, there is no need to rush back in to get those tickets because they can reprint them. <laughs> so it's safe to say for Marie that those Phillies tickets were a priority. Now, if they were Green Bay tickets, I could see it, but I don't, <laughs> I don't get it, you know, when it's Phillies. But anyway, for her, it was a priority. And uh, that's basically what we're going to be talking about today in the book of Haggai. It's about priorities. And so our big idea this morning is our priorities reveal how much we value our relationship with God. Our priorities reveal how much we value our relationship with God. And so as we get ready to take a look at this book, the book of Haggai, just to give you a little bit of background information on this book and on this person, Haggai, we really don't know much about the person of Haggai. There's really little in the scriptures that tell us what we do know is that his name means festive. Haggai, the word Haggai means festive. And so many scholars believe that he must have been born during one of the festivals that Israel would have been celebrating. And so as we look at this book, and it's a short book, um, there are some main characters in, in the book. And of course, the very most main character is the Lord God himself and as he speaks uh, to the people in this book and then there's of course Haggai the prophet there is Zerubbabel who is the governor of Judah uh, so he's a he's a Jewish governor then there is Joshua the high priest this is not the Joshua that the book in the Old Testament is written about not the Joshua of the Exodus out of Egypt this is a different Joshua and he is a high priest and then you actually have uh, the remnant there and uh, these are the people from Israel from the, the, the people who had been in Exodus who were coming back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and so um, those are the main characters of the book it's also important uh, to realize that the, actually there's a connection between Haggai and the book of Ezra. And so if you want to get more information about what's going on at the time of the book of Haggai, you want to take a look at the book of Ezra. The first four chapters of the book of Ezra cover the return when they actually left Babylon and went back uh, to Jerusalem. And then chapters 5 and 6 are really covering what the book of Haggai is all about. And this map kind of gives you a picture of the Exodus and how they would have come back following the Euphrates River and then coming down into uh, to Jerusalem. And so uh, when they first get back, 
they actually, um, you know, rebuild the actual altar so that they could sacrifice animals because in the Old Testament, that's, uh, that was a part of the worship and part of, you know, sacrificing for their sins. This was pre-Jesus. They would sacrifice animals for their sins. So they rebuilt the altar. Uh, they began the process of rebuilding the temple, but they just basically cleared the foundation and then they got, they got distracted and they, they stopped the rebuilding process. And that leads us into the book of Haggai. And so in the book of Haggai, you actually have four messages that uh, Haggai, God is giving to Haggai and he is speaking to the people. And uh, those four messages are broken up in our Bible into two chapters. And it's interesting that we get exact dates so Haggai actually gives exact dates on when he is giving these messages. And so we know that the first message that he gave was on August 29th, 520 BC. And so not too far away from where we are right now. And in this message, he gives a call to continue building or rebuilding the temple. So they had paused on their rebuilding, and, he, and God is giving them a message. It's time to rebuild. And then there's a second message that comes on October 17th. And this is a message to encourage them to continue rebuilding the temple. Then there's a third message that comes on December 18th of 520 BC and it's a call for them to live holy lives in order for God to be able to bless them and then there's a final message on that same day of December 18th 520 BC and it's a message to encourage them to actually look forward to a future time when there would be an overthrow of all worldly kingdoms and basically it's a prophecy of the future kingdom that we are still looking forward to when Jesus returns and reigns on earth. And so that's at the very end of the book of Haggai. So one of the really prominent messages in, and you're going to see this throughout the book of Haggai, is, all, is just describing God's house, God's house. And when he refers to God's house, that's a reference to the temple. So the temple in the Old Testament was the place where God's presence dwelled. And that's where they would go to worship. It, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, this is pre-Jesus, this is pre-the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And so in order to experience God's presence, uh, they would come to the temple and worship there. And so what we find is that a broken down temple signified a broken down relationship with God between the Israelite people, those who had come back to Jerusalem, and his people. So um, he gives in this past in this book two priority shifting thoughts. He's basically going to challenge them to change their priorities. And the first priority change is that we miss out on God's blessings when we procrastinate on spiritual matters. We miss out on God's blessings when we procrastinate 
on spiritual matters. And the second one is God's presence changes everything. God's presence changes everything. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read through part, the first part of Haggai in chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, but let's read together this text. So in Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to re be rebuilding the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And he says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, his house, lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain and the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. So again, this first principle we see here is that they and we miss out on God's blessings when we procrastinate in our obedience to him, when we procrastinate on spiritual matters. And so they had left the, the uh, rebuilding of the temple and just left it where the foundation was there, but had not continued to rebuild. And so they obviously were putting other things in a higher priority. And he tells them that they should consider their ways, consider what their priorities are, take you know, stock of what their priorities are. And he says that, you know, here it is. You've been focused on yourselves. You've been rebuilding your houses. But at the same, but at the same time, you've been neglecting my house. You've just left my house in ruins. He says, you've got your priorities out of order. In my mind, uh, this is kind of like if we had decided to just leave things at 9-11, uh, you know, at the World Trade Center, we just left it in rubble, or maybe we cleaned the rubble, we just left it. We didn't do anything to rebuild. It's the same kind of time frame you know, between when they had gone back into Jerusalem and when they actually started, when Haggai starts preaching to them and they actually start rebuilding. It's about an 18-year period. And so what really we see here is that the work of their hands revealed what they valued. The work of their hands revealed what they valued. They valued their own lives, their own things, their own kingdom 
over God's kingdom. And so, you know, we see sort of a parallel passage to this or a message to this in the New Testament. In the New Testament, in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things that he says he will add to them if you seek him first? Well, he says, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what clothes you shall put on. Jesus says, if you'll seek first me and seek first the kingdom, I will provide those things for you. You do not need to be worried about those things. In a similar uh, passage and story, we have Jesus interacting with Martha and Mary. You may be familiar with that story. And Martha is really busy and she gets upset with Mary because what is Mary doing? She is spending time at the feet of Jesus. She's wanting to learn from Jesus. She's wanting to spend time with Jesus. And Martha, you know, rebukes, you know, kind of rebukes Jesus and says, you know, why don't you tell Mary to get over here and help me? And, you know, Jesus says to Mary, to Martha, Mary has chosen the more important thing. The more important thing is to spend time uh, with me. And so I think one of the lessons, you know, that we can find from this passage and from this message is that we need to be asking ourselves, what are our priorities? What, are we, what do they reveal about our relationship with God? Sometimes I think we have, um, you know, we have, we have a tendency to get things out of order. We don't keep God in the place that he deserves to be the Lord of our lives and to be worshiping him and spending time with him. And we don't make it a priority to be doing the things that he has called us to do, you know, to serve, to serve others, to serve him. We don't make that a priority. And so this message, I think, applies to us. Consider our ways. What are our uh, priorities? Now, uh, one of the illustrations that Josh had in his message involves his youngest son, Carter, and they captured him um, on video actually singing a song. And so I'm going to show you this video, and then um, we'll talk about it here in a second. So I don't know if you could understand that, but what he was singing is God made my hands and I'm so happy. God made my hands and I'm so happy. You know where he learned that? You might think he would have learned it there in, in, their, in their home, which I'm sure they're teaching him songs, but no, he learned that here. He learned that here in our Sunday school because of some of our Sunday school teachers who work with our kids on a weekly basis taught him that song and brought great blessing to their family and to realize that, they, that this child at a very early age is learning the truth about God and the fact that he made him and that, you know, he is so happy because he made his hands. He's learning that truth right now. And that's being taught as we speak 
in our children's area. And so the point is, you know, we need to reevaluate, consider our ways, consider where we're spending our time. Um, consider, you know, are we spending time with, with, with God on a, on a regular basis? Are you spending time in prayer and in the word, uh, studying his word, allowing him to speak to you? Is that happening on a regular basis? Do you have a daily quiet time? Are you spending that time with him? Are you uh, willing to get involved in serving and, and being obedient to him, whether it's here or somewhere else? Um, God has called us to serve each other, to be involved in sharing the truth, the gospel with others. I don't know what it is for you, but this is what he's saying to us. Consider our ways and consider what is going to be our next step and make any adjustments. Make the needed adjustments. And so in the story here with Haggai, they did. They did that just that. They, you know, considered their ways. They repented. And they began the process of rebuilding the temple. But it didn't take very long, and they got discouraged. They began to get discouraged. And the reason why they, began, they got discouraged is because they remembered what the temple was like when Solomon had built it in all of its glory. And so as they were trying to rebuild it, they weren't able to rebuild it back to that grandeur. And so they started to get discouraged. And so that leads us into this second chapter of Haggai. And so let's take a look at that. In Haggai chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, it says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Why? Because I am with you. And so this second principle that we're looking at this morning is that God's presence changes everything. God's presence changes everything. When we begin to get discouraged, when we feel like we can't continue, it's God's presence that can change everything. So a few years ago, uh, my daughter, Sarah, gave me this uh, picture album and uh, in it, it kind of documents her life in some ways from almost from birth up until uh, she graduated from college. And the very first picture in it is this picture. And I don't know if you can read that, but it says, thank you, Daddy, for protecting me. And she was thanking me for protecting her. And so when she was an infant, and this is like almost newborn, 
she was pretty colicky at the time. And so one of the ways that we could get her to, to actually go to sleep was for me to lay her on my chest while I was laying down. And she would then, she could go to sleep. She, would re- she could rest and she could go to sleep. It was, she needed to be on my shoulder. It was like she had a sense that everything was okay, you know, when she was on my shoulder. And so she, she, she uh, made this picture and left us in the book. And then uh, just a couple of pictures over is this picture of her on this horse and uh, obviously standing there next to her. Now, this horse, this pony, isn't going anywhere Okay, if you can't tell, it's all, you know, in a place where it's not going anywhere. It's just in a little merry-go-round. But she needed me to be standing next to her and just have my hand on her, on her back just to know that if she started to fall, Daddy was going to catch her. And so uh, in a similar way, you know, um, we need to remember that, God's presence is with us. And when we are going through challenging times, we can rely on him. And in a unique way now, because we're now post-Jesus, we now have the Holy Spirit who is with us on an ongoing basis. If you remember, you know, Jesus, he promised before he ascended into heaven that he would be sending the Holy Spirit, who would now dwell in them. So as opposed to in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit would come upon a priest or come upon a king, now the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we have God's presence in us, and we can rely upon his help and his strength to give us the ability to to obey him, to give us the ability to experience the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those things, those fruit are now able to be produced in us. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in him, he comes to dwell within us. And we have the promise of his presence with us as we go throughout our daily lives. But it is also true that God's presence is uniquely experienced when God's people gather to worship him. In a similar way, in some ways, as the Israelites, when they gathered at the temple and his presence was experienced there, it's in some ways similar. Jesus said, when two or three gather together, in my name, there I am in their midst. And so even in a, in a unique way, a special way, we can experience his presence when we gather together here for worship. And so I have to tell you that, you know, going through this whole COVID situation has been a very challenging thing, a very challenging time for us as a church and for us individually and one of the most challenging parts of it has been, and it was that time frame when we couldn't gather together when we were just online. 
And we're committed to continuing to stream our services because there are those who are not able to be here for whatever reason. It's a better situation for them to gather with us online. But it doesn't take the place of gathering together in person. There is a uniqueness to gathering together in person. And so my prayer is that no matter what happens with the future of this uptick in COVID, that we will not ever have to go back to online only, that we will be able to gather together in person and be able to worship together in person because there is something unique about gathering together in person and experiencing his presence with us. And so in the very last part of the book, in chapter 2, verses 6 through 23, there's a final message. I alluded to it earlier, and this is a prophecy. And this prophecy is that worldly kingdoms one day will all be destroyed and God is going to establish his kingdom on earth. That's a promise of a coming day when God's presence will not only be uniquely experienced in a worship time with believers, but his, his presence, Jesus is going to return, physically return and reign on earth. And that's a promise that we, we still look forward to today. And when that time comes, there'll be no more sickness, no more COVID, no more death, no more sin, no more sorrow on the earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm like the Apostle John in the book of Revelation when he says, Come, Lord Jesus, come. The sooner, the better, as far as I'm concerned, because that's what we have to look forward to, a time where there's no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow. So as we think about these principles, we think about this passage, I want to give you a few next steps to think about. And the first one is this. Again, consider your priorities. Consider your priorities and make the needed changes. And I don't know what that means for you, but if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, that should be your highest priority because that's the most important decision you will ever make because that is the difference from spending eternity separated from God and spending eternity with him. And so I would encourage you this morning, if you're here or if you're watching and you've never made that decision, I encourage you to make that decision. But whatever it is, if, if you know that things aren't right in your relationship with God, he isn't the Lord of your life. He may be the Lord of your life in terms of being in your life, but he is not reigning over your life. Then I challenge you to surrender yourself to him and allow him to be the Lord of your life, of every area of your life, and then to follow him and to be obedient to him in whatever it is that he is calling you to do. I don't know what that is for you. Um, it could be that there is a need to set aside time on a daily basis where you're spending time 
with him, you know you haven't been doing and keeping the relationship strong like it should be. Or maybe you know that you need to be getting involved somehow in what he is doing in this world. And you know you need to step out and obey him and actually be a part of what he's doing in this world. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I encourage you, as Haggai said, consider your ways, consider our ways, and ask him to show us what it is. Where do we need to be obedient to him, maybe where we haven't been? A second uh, step that you could do is to just remind yourself that he is, his spirit dwells in you. That's what 1 Corinthians 3.16 is about. It's, it's the promise that the Holy Spirit talks about that we are a temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And sometimes maybe we forget that and we need to be reminded his spirit dwells in us. And if we want to experience the fruit of the spirit that I mentioned just a minute ago, that love and that joy and that peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control, then we need to surrender ourselves to him and allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and be in control. Maybe that's the next step that you need to take this morning. And the final next step that I would encourage you to do this morning is to realize that uh, there is coming a day when there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. I don't know what's going on in, in your world, but just hold on to that truth, that his presence is with you and that he is going to come back one day and he is going to reign on earth and that there will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, nothing. You just need to hang on. It's coming. And so with that, let's pray, and we'll continue on with our worship this morning. Father, I just thank you, God, for these, these truths. I thank you, God, that your presence is with us and that you dwell in us if we are your followers. If we put our trust in you, your spirit dwells within us. And if we will surrender ourselves to you, Lord, you will reign in our lives and you will produce that fruit in us. And so I just pray, God, I pray for all of us this morning to consider our ways, to consider uh, where we're at in our relationship with you, Lord. If we know that there's something that's not right, God, I pray that this morning we would surrender that to you. We would confess it. We would repent. We would turn away from it. And we would turn back to you, Lord, and allow you to not only forgive us, but to cleanse us from all our sin. And in order that we might experience the blessing of, of knowing you and of living with you. And I just pray, God, that you would would work in our hearts that way this morning. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.